Oh, uh, how many pieces of cake can we fit into a sermon? That's a question. Okay. Well, we're going to be looking back into uh, 1 Peter, a book in the New Testament of the Bible. You'll find it uh, in the Bibles uh, nearby to you. There should be one nearby to you, somewhere in a seat back or something like that. On page 1220. 1220. Um, that's the passage we're going to be looking at today. Again, just a, uh, it was a, a great time yesterday. It was uh, tremendous. We had a great time. Thanks, everyone, for being involved in that, those of us who could make it. I know lots of us who weren't, were praying for it, even if you couldn't be here, and that's uh, really good. If you are new today and you want to stay in touch with us, on the uh, notice sheet, oh, there's a little tear-off slip you can fill in and take it to the back, the welcome desk at the back, and have a chat, uh, and uh, we'll uh, get to know you that way as well. So we're back in 1 Peter after a break last week when... Uh, uh, we had a different kind of Sunday, spent the time praying in different ways for different things. I, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but I gather it was a great time, and uh, I guess we'll be able to do it uh, occasionally through next year as well, as we want to bring prayer into kind of our main events uh, a bit more, as it were, on, on, on different Sundays occasionally. So, uh, but we're back now into this letter, this letter that is written by Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of the first disciples. He's writing now in the first century to Christians, communities, believers, uh, who are feeling the pressure beginning to rise upon them. Uh, and he's been telling them to, to live good lives, hasn't he, out in the real world, where it could be tough. Remember, the, the key kind of verse, uh, the key, his key statement at the beginning of this section is, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Peter wants them to live this kind of life so that other people can see that it's God who is making the difference in their life and ask questions, maybe to them, maybe to others. But the whole point of it, says Peter, is that others might see God's glory in you as you live good lives. But he's also said as well, hasn't he, that doing good can sometimes bring suffering. So in this section, he's talked about suffering on a number of occasions. And, and in these verses we're going to look at today, he kind of reviews and, and in a sense begins to wrap up what he's been saying about the whole issue of suffering for Christ uh, so far. So let's read it. I'll read it if you'd like to follow it through. It's uh, from verse 12, down at the bottom of the page under that heading, Suffering for Being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and he quotes the Old Testament, it is, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, 
what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So why all this emphasis, do you think, uh, in Peter's letter on suffering? Well, there are three reasons that are obvious. There are probably more as well. It's clearly where these people were. This is what they were going through. They were beginning to feel the temperature in the Roman world. It was beginning to rise. It had not got to the point where it is as bad as it was going to be, but it's beginning to go up. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's almost as if, in fact, it is that the Holy Spirit is preparing these Christian communities for what's coming through these words of Peter. That's the first reason. It's where people were at. Secondly, Peter's uh, able to speak about suffering for Christ out of experience. He's moved, actually. You know, you, this is Peter who, who kind of uh, was once really confident. You know, he said to Jesus once, you know, everyone else may leave you, but I'll die for you. And hours later, he was overcome with fear. Uh, the embarrassment of a northern accent picked up by a, uh, a Jerusalem uh, slave girl saying, yeah, you're from Galilee. That was enough to crumble Peter completely. He just gave up. Sweared, cursed, said he didn't know Jesus. You know the story. But then he gets back on track. And as we read in the book of Acts, suffers himself for Christ, is imprisoned, faces death, the death penalty. Uh, we're we're going to do a bit more about Peter's story uh, in, in, ne- in next year. So he's able to speak to them out of experience of suffering himself. And thirdly, he cares about these people. This is written out of a caring heart. Look at verse 12. Dear friends, he said, beloved is the word. He he knows that he loves these people so much. He knows that that he needs to talk about suffering. For him, he, he knows I've got to be, he knows, as it were, I've got to be honest. We've got to be dealing with this stuff in love. We need to be open about it. Suffering needs to be faced. And I guess some of us who suffer... May, may know that, that feeling that it's almost like an elephant in the room. You know, no one likes to mention it. Do you know what I mean? Our friends don't know what to say or, you know, they, they avoid you or, or something. And Peter says, no, I want to be open. We, we've got to face these things. We're going to talk about these. Hear what I'm saying, he says to them. So that's the third reason he cares about them. So as we look into these verses, we see Peter kind of gently pushing the message home about suffering for Christ. And we see two strands in what he's saying, and they're woven together in these verses, and they're going to be the two kind of sections. Firstly, he says, I'm going to talk to you about reacting to suffering. How are you going to react to it when it comes? And secondly, what about God's will in suffering? Knowing God's will in suffering. But let's think firstly about reacting to suffering. Because Peter cares, he wants to prepare them, he wants to stand with them. So he tells them, firstly, he says, look, don't be surprised there. Don't be surprised at what's going, what you're going through. He says, don't be surprised at these painful trials. Actually, the word is a fiery ordeals. And, and again, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes the the shock of what's happening to you sometimes can be quite a knockback. 
he says, no, don't, don't be surprised by it. Don't be overwhelmed by the, the fact that you, you're going through a tough time because of Jesus. Be joyful, he says. Instead, he says, rejoice. Rejoice. Because he tells them, as you can see in these verses, that it's not strange. You know, sometimes you go through something, especially if you're a, a Christian and you're, you're suffering or you're going through a hard time because of Jesus. You know, you think, what well, is it, me? You know, how, you know is, is, it, is it my problem? You know, why, why is it happening to me? And Peter's saying, no, it's not you. He's saying, it's, it is not that there's been some kind of terrible mistake and you're going through this. He's saying, no, this is, this is normal. It's part of life. How do you know that? Well, Peter says, you know that because of Jesus. See that he says there, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Suffering is the Jesus way. It's the way he went. And Peter says that when we suffer for him, we're participating in his suffering. And knowing that that you're going the Jesus route is a way to finding joy, even when you're hurting, says Peter. Now, Peter knew that for himself. He actually experienced that in his own life. And we read about that in the book of Acts. So if you want to just uh, keep your finger in uh, 1 Peter and quickly skim over to the book of Acts, chapter 5. And that's, I'll tell you, on page 1097. And uh, I just want to read a few verses. Do you remember the story? Peter and the, uh, the other apostles have been arrested. They've been telling people about Jesus. And they've been uh, taken to the authorities. And, and you know, they, they killed Jesus because they didn't like his message. Now they've got, got Peter and his friends there in front of them. And he's very bold, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Very strong. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. It's a very bold, difficult situation. Here's Peter facing death now, right there. But look what happens, There's a, well, I won't read it all, but they have a discussion amongst themselves and uh, a man called Gamaliel dissuades the other Jewish leaders from uh, executing the apostles. And then halfway through verse 40 there, they call the apostles in again and had them flogged. Now, flogged isn't easy, is it? Ever been flogged? I think I think it involves whips and bone, you know, bones in the end of it, and you know, it's not it's not good. Don't want to be flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's what Peter knew in his life. Uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, you may know the story how they were arrested and put in prison and beaten and it says at midnight they were singing psalms and praising God. They were rejoicing. Silas, if we whip back to one Peter out of interest, uh, Silas has been helping Peter write his letter. Tell us that in chapter 5 verse 12. So Silas is there maybe nudging Peter on, saying, yeah, Peter, that's true. That happened to me. 
I was able to rejoice, even though my back was bleeding, even though they did this to me, because I, I knew the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Now, that may seem a bit hard. Where does that kind of joy come from then? How does it kind of get there? What's the root? Well, there are two ways, two kind of uh, ways in. First of all, there's in knowing that this is the road of Jesus. And in Jesus' experience, what happens to Jesus? He suffered, he died. Was that the end? Was that the end? No. He was raised again from the dead. He went through suffering to glory. In Jesus' experience, glory follows suffering. And Peter is saying, because as Christian believers, we are connected to Jesus. Our life is, is hidden with Jesus. We, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we, we kind of became part of all that he is and all that he's done. And just as Jesus went through suffering and then it was temporary, he went into glory. So we're with him on the same route. We're on the same road. It's true for us. Suffering will be temporary. Glory with Jesus one day, it says when Jesus is revealed, is permanent. Even if we're killed. See, uh, Christians suffering over the years have always said, you know, you, the worst thing you can do is kill me. If you kill me, I'm with Jesus. Glory is what comes. Jesus told his followers, didn't he, that identifying with him could lead to suffering for him. He said, the world hates me, he told the disciples. He's telling us the world hated Jesus. They didn't like him too much. They found his message profoundly difficult and disturbing. We love Jesus, so we shouldn't be surprised that it might be so that we love Jesus, the world hates Jesus. It might not be a surprise sometimes that we find people hate us because of Jesus, because we love him. That's what Peter's saying to these believers here. But that's not how it ends for Jesus, and that's not how it, that's not how it ends for us either. Peter says in verse 13, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you can rejoice at the time of going through suffering somehow, and he's saying that in the future you'll be overjoyed. Actually, the, the, the original says you'll be shouting for joy when he's revealed. That for Christian believers, and it's very hard for us to get our heads around this in the materialistic kind of well-off, um, kind of or what you see is all there is kind of Western kind of culture. But there's always been this sense that this is not all it is. What there is in the future with Jesus is permanent. That one day Jesus will be revealed, as, not just as it says on the wall that he is Lord, but it will be revealed to the entire created universe that he is Lord. And that, you know what, Peter is saying that on that day, those who love him and follow him will be there with him, sharing in it, when, when if you like, history, the rest of it, forever, really kicks off. That's what Peter is saying. Uh, there was a black preacher, um, I can't do it, I wouldn't uh, dream it would be patronising to try and um, kind of imitate him, but that, and you may have heard of it, it's a famous story. I had a, a, a congregation in the American South who was suffering. He did a sermon at Easter, he kept talking about Good Friday. He said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And he was talking about, he said, you, you may be oppressed, you may be unemployed, you may be in difficulty, you may be experiencing prejudice, prejudice rather. it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. 
And for Christians around the world, for believers in Pakistan and Nepal and parts of China and other places and Kazakhstan and places that, and Mueli and places that, that we love and know about, it may be Friday now, but Sunday is coming. That's what Peter's saying. And for us, in your life, in my life, as we suffer now, yeah, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And when Sunday, when Resurrection Day comes, we'll be there with Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. It's the road of Jesus. But secondly, he says, the second root of this joy, look at verse 14. It's in sharing the road with Jesus. Now, this is really amazing, I think. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Blessed. That's the idea of being given something from God. That idea of being in close relationship with him. And Peter is saying that as we suffer for the name of Christ, because of our loyalty to him, so joy comes because he is with us as we go through that. And people who suffer direct persecution all over the world know that to be true as it is here. Not that it's easy, but there is that sense that Jesus is on the road with them as they go through it. But what about for us? What about um, the suffering or the difficulty suffering, maybe the wrong word for it, but it isn't sometimes. For the cost of, like Peter says to the uh, authorities, we will obey God, not man. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to obey God's word rather than what the rest of our culture does or what people expect us to do. What about the, the, the decisions we may be making to live Jesus' way? So some of us maybe have, find ourselves in, in a situation of singleness because you're not going to marry someone who doesn't share your loyalty to Christ. And that can be hard. Or what about those of us who may be remaining in a tough situation because you know Jesus wants you in that situation and you're going to stick it out with him. Many possibilities where there are consequences that are hard in our lives of loving Jesus enough to obey him as our Lord and not compromise with stuff we know he does not want for us in our lives because the Bible says that. Right here in that situation, when it hurts, and it does hurt, it can be very hard. Peter says, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God's presence resting on you. Glory, the presence of God. That's what glory is. It's what you get in the Old Testament. Remember we talked about it in the tabernacle. You, nobody can see God, but when God's around in the place in the Old Testament, something called glory, it was like light, something just woof, filled the place. It meant that God was there. And glory means the presence of God in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's like Jesus at his baptism. You know, the, the spirit rested, the spirit of glory and of God rested upon Jesus as he obeyed the Father. And the Father spoke from heaven, this is my son, I love him. That smile of God upon him. Feeling God's pleasure. Joy coming into our lives from God's presence by the Spirit with us. 
The glory of the future, says Peter, invades the present. He's with you by the Holy Spirit. As we face the pain of decisions that we make because we're loyal to him. May not be direct persecution for us. And again, there's many stories of how people have seen the glory of God on Christians as they suffered. There's a story, it's a bit of an old story, but it was in a book I found. From Castro's Cuba in the early days. You know, in the early days of the Cuban regime, in the the, uh, early 60s, uh, the, the, the choice was very much between communism or Christ. And people were arrested who were against the regime. Many believers were arrested because they weren't willing to give uh, Cuban communism the loyal place of loyalty in their lives. And there was a man called Armando Valadres who wrote a book about it. He was a regular political prisoner. He wasn't a believer uh, when he started out. But he, he talks in his book about how he came to know Christ. And this is what he says. He talks of being in prison. He said, those cries of the executed patriots, long live Christ the King, down with communism. That's what they shouted as they went to their execution. He says, Armando Valadres says, had awakened me to a new life. The cries became such a, a potent and stirring symbol that by 1963, the men condemned to death were gagged before being carried down to be shot. The jailers feared those shouts. The spirit of glory and of God rested upon them. And this man, Amando, in his book uh, of prison memoirs, describes that experience as being what? He saw their good deeds and came to know God for himself. Now, it's an extreme example. But could we know something of this? Well, we're more likely to, aren't we, if we, if we decide to intentionally follow Jesus and to, to realise that the road we're on is through suffering sometimes, but it will be to glory. We're more likely to get that if, if we're deliberately asking God that, he, he, that we might know that spirit of glory and of God upon us as we suffer. Rather than simply being overwhelmed by what we're going through, it's so easy because what we're going through can be so tough. So here's the question then, how will we react to suffering if and when it comes? We can find joy there as we follow Christ. It's the first thing. But Peter also talks about something else. He talks about knowing God's will in suffering. See that verse 19? Those who suffer according to God's will... Now, this is a difficult and a complex area, and I'm only going to just go on the surface, but uh, if you want to talk about it later, then uh, that's possible. But Peter is clearly saying that suffering can be in God's will for Christians. But he's not saying it, and I want to say very clearly, in the way that, that, that a Muslim would say. A Muslim would say, well, it's God's will. You know, everything that comes into my life comes directly from God. If it's God's will, it's God's, and so on and so forth. Peter is not talking about a kind of fate or destiny or a kind of automatic dishing out of everything that happens to us as if it comes straight from God's hands. That's not what Peter's talking about at all. 
In fact, he makes that very clear because he says he actually says to anyone who might be taking that view, for example, who may be suffering in prison, not because they're a Christian, but they happen to be a Christian, but they committed theft or murder, or, 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 or they, they, they maybe not committed a crime, but he calls them a meddler. They're such a pain in the butt to other people, you know, by meddling in their lives that other people don't like them and give them a slap or, or a bad time or whatever. That, you know, and if a Christian like that says, well, I'm suffering, it's God's will for me. Peter's saying, no, it's not God's will. That's nothing to do with God's will. That's because you're a criminal or a meddler. That's not suffering in the will of God. See what he's saying? You can see that in, the, in those, in those uh, verses there. But Peter had heard the Lord Jesus pray in, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he went to suffering. Not my will, but yours be done. So God's will can be for us to suffer. So again, knowing God's will in suffering is not us saying, well, it had to be, or God made me suffer. It all comes from God. It's much more complex than that. Complex is a very key word. Because we as evangelicals, we love to make things so simple. And then we go around saying stuff to people that can hurt them because it's too simple. The world is much more complex than sometimes we do that. So we might say to someone, oh, well, God gave you cancer because he wanted to teach you a lesson. Or that happened in your life because God did it to you. That's not what Peter's saying at all. It's unhelpful. The world is much more complex than this. It's much more complicated. Turn the page back to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to watch the time here. Verse 6. A couple of pages. Peter's talked about trials and difficulties before. And just watch the way, look at the way he describes them. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. We'll, we'll, look, we'll hold that thought. But notice the way Peter says, he says you've had to suffer. It's been part of your life. He's actually said that trials have come and he said that something good is coming from them. He's saying your faith, we'll see this in a minute, is being refined. But he's not saying that God is put that in your life. He's not deliberately put you there. You see, the world is broken. Stuff goes wrong. Human beings are free to act in the world. And all kinds of stuff flows out of that. And it's not necessary that God has done it. But what the Bible does say very clearly is that God is at work in this messed up world. This complicated world. This world in which people are free to, to abuse one another. This world which is broken so that sometimes through all kinds of things in our bodies they go wrong. It, it, it's, it's part of how things are. And in this messed up world, the Bible does say that God is at work. He's doing stuff. And the Bible says he's at work for good. You'll know this verse, many of you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, how he does that is mysterious, truly mysterious. And, and again, we need to, to live with this mystery. Evangelicals don't like mystery too much either. 
We have to accept that we don't know. Sometimes God works for good by intervening and removing the suffering. So he heals sometimes. He will do that. And certainly it's always good to ask him that he will. But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes he intervenes, he still intervenes, he still works for good, but he intervenes by giving the person grace to go on through that path, even to death. But always he is at work for good. And Peter in this passage picks up two two of the ways that God works for good in suffering. Here's the first one. He says, personal faith gets refined in the suffering. Uh, That's really back in verse 12. We've read it in chapter 1. You read that about our faith being refined. But back in verse 12, in in, uh, chapter 4, Peter says, talks about the painful trial you're suffering. The NRV is not as clear as some other versions here. Uh, the, the, The word is for a fiery ordeal. It has this idea of being tested. Actually, some versions say, you may have a version that says that these, these trials have come upon you to test you. What's happening there to prove you? Well, Peter is saying that our faith in God is sometimes refined like gold. It's purified. It's made true in suffering. And that's how God's will can be worked out in suffering when it comes. Not that he deliberately sends it, but he will work for good to refine our faith as we go through it. And many Christians have found that their trust in God, their love for Jesus, their experience of the Holy Spirit has really deepened through suffering when it's come. You know, why do we seem in our Western experience to be so meagre in our experience of God when we meet a community that's been through persecution? Some of us have had that privilege. I won't go on about it, but I've mentioned it in the past. But previously, I've had quite a little bit, a little bit of contact with the Nepali church, the church in Nepal, who up until the early 90s, if you were baptized, you went to prison for two years. If you baptized somebody, you went to prison for seven years. It was very hard to find a half-hearted Nepali Christian. And, you know, those of us who met them and loved them and worked with them and, you know, found out about them, I was more involved in sending other people to work with them, but connected and prayed and so on. Yeah, we were just like this big compared to those brothers and sisters. Our faith is so meager. That's, they were going through that suffering. But secondly, Peter says, God's will is seen as his people are purified through suffering. Look at verse 17. This is a strange verse. For it is time for judgment to begin with the people of God. Wow, what's that about? Well, those of you who are biblical um, literate or know a lot about the Bible will recognize a reference to the book of Malachi. Uh, last book in the Old Testament, it's a, uh, Malachi is a prophet who has this message. Uh, we, I won't turn to it now, but you can find it in the beginning of chapter 3 in Malachi. And God's people wanted his presence with them in their temple. But they didn't realize quite what that, what that would mean. And Malachi says, yes, the Lord who you want, the Lord you're seeking, he will come to his temple, sure enough. But he's going to come like fire to burn up the rubbish, like purifying, cleansing kind of fire to get all the rubbish out of the temple. 
Now, Peter has told these Christians that they are like uh, uh, the temple. He's told them, you're living stones, you're a spiritual house, you're the temple. So, says Peter, you are to be home to holiness, the holiness of God in that place. And Peter is saying here that this God is so holy, he will judge sin. He will burn up bad stuff in our lives. He, will, he wants to take out rough, rough things in our community as he comes and works among us. Now, do we realize that God is that passionate to make us like him? He wants us to be so much better than we realize. He's got great plans for us as people, as a community, to be holy. Now, we're not going to face judgment in the sense that, that we'll, we'll face his eternal judgment because Jesus has faced that for us. We are, are not condemned. But, or rather, and, because it's not a but, it's an and, he still wants to purify us. He still wants to make us like Jesus. His burning, passionate, holy love is for us to be what he wants us to be. He wants to touch our lives. He wants to deal with the bad stuff. In that sense, he wants to judge what's wrong in our lives as a community and deal with it, get rid of it. And Peter says suffering is one of the ways that he works that in us. In Hebrews 12, the writer of the Hebrews talks about God disciplining us and he's saying he does that so that we might share his holiness. What an amazing idea. That God is so passionate about purity uh, in our lives that he wants us to share his holiness more than anything else. So how do we live in God's will? Finally, let's look at the very last verse as we close. Two things Peter says. See that? Verse 19. If you're suffering according to God's will, what do you do? He says, commit, entrust ourselves to a faithful creator. If you lived in the Greek world and you went away on your holiday for a long time, or not a holiday, but a big business trip, you didn't have a bank. Where would you put, what would, well, who would look after all your stuff? Your house, your valuables, your jewels, etc. What you do, you find a really good friend. I'm feeding back a bit. A really good friend, and you, they do it. They, they look after all your stuff. They'd have to be a really good friend. And that's the word Peter's saying. We entrust everything to God as we suffer. If we're going to live in God's will, then we trust to him. Why? Because he's a faithful creator. That's interesting. Because suffering is all about our life in the created world, if you think about it, isn't it? This complex, this fallen world, this world that's kind of riddled by spiritual forces that we don't understand... That, that, that where all kinds of stuff is going on in, in our bodies, our minds, our emotions, all the places that suffering hits us are to do with the fact that we are created beings living in a broken world. Hey, says Peter, we can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator. He knows all about that stuff. We don't. It's far too complex, but we can entrust ourselves to him. And secondly, Peter says, we can continue to do good. Don't stop living good. Why not? Well, remember what Peter said at the beginning, why are we supposed to live good? Because people need to see God at work in us and glorify him. People need to know God's salvation. That's what he says in these verses. 
if we're rescued, we're saved, we're the saved ones, says Peter. You're the ones who are not going to get judged. You're going to be in heaven with Christ. Everything is sorted for you. But if you and your community and you like your life know the uncomfortableness of the, the fire of God burning up stuff and changing you and working through things and all of that, if that's what you get from God out of his love and his desire and with the glory of God and all, the, all, the, all that joy on the way as well, then what's it going to be like for the people who are not saved? Awful. So we need to keep doing good. We need to keep living good lives. We need to keep pointing people to the God who rescues and the God who who wants to uh, bring that judgment that Jesus has taken on his cross to our account so that we can live for him. And know him changing and purifying our lives and our community. That's what Peter's saying. Entrust ourselves to God and do good. Let's uh, pause and pray. Lord, we pray that if we're finding it hard to see that joy can come through going through situations that may go on for a long time, that we face because we've been loyal to you and taken decisions to live your way, that those things could bring us joy. Lord, we pray that you would touch us with that sense of your pleasure in our obedience. Lord, where we need to know the power of the Spirit, just giving us that understanding, that blessing of of walking with you through the pain. May we know that day by day. Thank you, Lord, that there will be a time when glory will be revealed fully in Jesus and we'll be there. Lord, we pray that we may be people who this week entrust everything to you, our faithful creator. We pray that we may do good and that if we suffer for doing good, if we suffer because of your name, we pray that we may know your presence on that road with us. In Jesus' name, amen.